Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I'm the payments professor, Kevin Olson, and well, I've got an exciting topic and a much more exciting guest to speak on that topic today. Today, you, you guys, hold on. I know for all you payments people out there, you're going to get really excited about this one. We are going to talk about OCC guidance and RTP risk assessments. Can I get a woohoo? Woohoo! That would be Pam Rodriguez. Pam Rodriguez is here to help me discuss a little bit about well, OCC and uh, what they're saying and saying when it comes to RTP network and, and risk assessments. In fact, Pam, would you say hi to everybody and give them an idea of who you are, even though I know you've been on the payments podium before? Hi, everyone. It's so good to see you. And Kevin, thank you so much for inviting me back. Um, it seems like I always get the topics that people would rather watch grass grow. So I thought I'd sit out here in the middle of the grass. <laughs> but um, I've, as you know, I'm famous for speaking about audit compliance risk assessments. And there's so much going on in that space right now. So thank you and welcome, everyone. Well, and this particular discussion, this is where it came up for all you listeners out there. And well, I think it was May, June timeframe, the uh, RTP network, the clearinghouse, they issued a document that has to do with the OCC payment system membership rule for national banks and federal savings associations. Now this rule, what it says, let me go ahead and quote it from where the document itself is. It says it codifies the requirements for national banks and federal savings associations regarding memberships and payment systems, which were previously set out in interpretive letters. Okay, that doesn't really say anything, but it goes on to tell us that it includes obligations. This is the key part, as well as safety and soundness procedures that include a risk evaluation prior to joining a payment system. I think that part right there is important. The risk evaluation prior to joining a payment system and ongoing risk management after joining. Now under the rule, the risk evaluation and ongoing risk management should consider 17 specific payment system characteristics. And we're gonna discuss those. Now, some of you might be going, yeah, you should be doing that. But part of why I brought Pam in to have this discussion is here we are in just this first paragraph. And Pam, have you had people ask you, do I have to do a risk assessment before I start offering RTP? Well, I've had people ask me, do I have to do a risk assessment before I start offering any type of new payment system? And as we know, even though the RTP rail has been out, what, birthdays, three your birthday? I, I think it's up? three, three, yeah, three November, years. Yeah. Three-year birthday. Actually, four. Uh, it would have been 2017, yeah. so it's going on four years now. Time flies when we're yes. having fun, but um, we still, and here at Southern Financial Exchange, where I oversee our professional services, we do have an RTP audit solution. But you know, um, it, it's it's growing. It's uh, community banks and credit unions um, are now getting involved. It's kind of been slow. I think everybody was wait and watch and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So back to your original question, I'm not getting a lot specific to risk assessment requests for RTPs because just haven't interacted with a lot of our members and clients that are on that rail. But 
any fan, you know, in your faster payment or digital strategy, there's other new things going on. And so I'm being asked for other customized risk assessments be, because of new products and services being offered in the faster payment space. Okay. And see, that's where I'm at too. I mean, when I read the very first part of this, and I'm glad, I really am glad that the clearinghouse put this out because it helps eliminate some of the confusion. I have had people come to me and say, well, we have risk assessments for other stuff. So this is really just part of our digital strategy, like you mentioned. So we don't have to do a new risk assessment for it. And I'm like, no, you should do a risk assessment on every product or service that you offer. That's my personal opinion and I'm sticking to it. And I think that what we've got too from the OCC, for those of you who go read the system membership rule, you'll see a lot of it is really written from the clearinghouse perspective. So what we're gonna do in this podcast and this discussion is Pam and I are gonna go through and we're gonna look at some of these questions, maybe not all 17 because we don't want to put you guys to sleep, especially those of you who are driving, You know, we're gonna try and make this as exciting as we can and see how does it apply to everybody? Because one of the first things I wanna say, Pam, is it's the OCC and, you know, and they're really structuring it they keep saying national banks and federal savings accounts. So does it apply to all financial institutions or just those under the charter of the OCC? Great, great question. And I have gotten that since December 1st of 2006, or September 1st, 2006, if memory serves me correctly, when the OCC issued um, ACH risk management guidance and I uh, was just recently, um, I met with a panel last week of IT examiners, uh, one from Fed Atlanta, one from OCC, one from FDIC Atlanta. And we were talking about how, even though in uh, September 1st of 06, the OCC came out with the ACH risk management guidance, that guidance has kind of been, it not kind of, it has been adopted by all. Mm -hmm. And so I think with this and interesting, when, when I was on this panel chatting with the examiners last week, I thought, you know, and getting prepared for this, I'm like, oh, let me pick this guy's brain. And, you know, everybody has their subject matter expertise area. And he wasn't even familiar with what we are discussing today that was released May. Oh, wow. 13th. Yeah. So he's like, send me the link, send me the link. So payments professor, once again, um, you're, you're always ahead of the curve. Uh, I, I was really surprised somewhat that he's like, I hadn't heard of that. Send it to me. Well, I got to say, uh, everybody, you know, full disclosure, I don't hide or keep anything. I share all information. This document is available in the RTP documents library on the Clearinghouse website. If you go to the Clearinghouse website, RTP section, documents library, most all of my information on RTP comes from there. Uh, I just diligently follow it and read it. But I also want to say, Pam, how many times have we talked risk assessments and it's almost a race of who's going to mention OCC 2006-39 first? And, and how wow. it does, it does, it applies to everybody. And here it is. I, I mean, there's probably somebody out there going, that's an ACH risk document. Yes, but like you said, I think you'd agree, it gave us a foundation that we followed throughout the industry, regardless of the size of the financial institution, regardless of who they may be their answering body, and they all answer the FFIEC anyway. 
um, that you, you need to be following these as sound business principles or sound practices. And wouldn't you agree? Yes. And, and I was so glad when they came out with that because they put a stake in the ground and all the other regulators said, you know, that all makes sense. That all makes sense. And so really risk assessments for the ACH rail, most that I've seen and performed are built around that guidance that is now, oh my gosh, it just had a birthday. Right. <laughs> Last week, what is that? 15 years. 15 years birthday. Um, and it's still last, relevant. It's still very relevant. And and I want to say on this, what I really liked, and you read it, that popped off the page for me, an emphasis added, sound like a lawyer right now, but emphasis added on the, the safety and soundness procedures that include a risk evaluation prior I get that question often. So you want pre-implementation risk assessment and post-implementation risk assessment. And this is where some of my peeps will say I'm a fun sponge because <laughs> I sound like Debbie Downer, but that's what the regulators expect. So I was really pleased to see that in the very first introductory paragraph. I got to agree, too. I don't know how many times I, I've worked with people and they're like already offering the product and service and saying, well, we're working on getting a risk assessment. And I'm like, how do you know what the risks are for something you're already offering? Are you just you know, trying to figure it out as you go? Uh, you know, let me take a million dollar loss and I'll say that that's a risk now because I took a loss on it. Not the way to do it. Um, you know what? Let's go ahead and let's start jumping into some of the fun parts of this. Let's characteristic or question number one, however you want to look at it. I think is key in why, in my opinion, when it comes to RTP and when we get to even Fed now, I believe a risk assessment is even more important for these particular payment channels than any others. And it's for this reason. First characteristic, first question says, does the processing occur on a real time? That's immediate. In fact, Fed now calls them instant payments, real time gross settlement basis or provide reasonable assurance that members will meet settlement obligations. All right, we've got a real-time payment system. It does use a pre-funded model. I'm, I'm just now wrapping up a payments professor course on pre-funding and settlement and the reconciliation process. And this thing's turned into like a four hour long ordeal because there's so much to it. System may move at the, you know, within five to 20 seconds, but the reconciliation part doesn't. And you've got to be on top of that. So. Looking at that, just knowing the speed, just knowing right away that the payments are immediately settled between the participants, that to me brings in some characteristics that are brand new that we have not seen in other payment channels that we, we're going to have to look at and that we're going to have to be on top of. I mean, and not having negative positions, uh, it doesn't allow for them. So what are the things that as an auditor, you're going to say, hey, can you show me that you're doing this? Can you show me how you're pre-funding? Can you show me that you're aware of the settlement process? Can you show me that you have reports to be able to rely on? And not only you know, doing all that, I'm really giving you a loaded question here, Pam, but there's the between the clearinghouse and the financial institution as a sending and receiving participant. But let's get the pre-funding part over on the side of the participant, the sender and the sending participant, the financial institution. So that customer, that account holder, whether it be a business or a consumer. So, I mean, that one characteristic, wow, we might talk for the rest of the night on that one. 
Yeah, how much time do we have here today? <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe I'll just back up to the basics um, and, and say in any risk assessment that I design is you start out with, it, it, Kevin, you know, I'm going to be meeting with you next week on a customized risk assessment that I'm working at. And where we'll start next week is what are the inherent risks? What are all the risks that are out there that I am going to be faced with, as Kevin said, in character in characteristic number one of, of the document? You know, it, it's real-time settlement. It's gross settlement. It doesn't allow for negative positions you've got funding participants you've got non-funding participants i mean so that's the first thing when you whiteboard this inherent risk is risk with zero internal controls so this is if i do nothing so what i would do is we break down and we certainly like you said we might have to do part two but just characteristic number one, that's what I would do is go, okay, one risk, settlement finality, all right? Settlement is finality. I know, and, it's done. <laughs> right, done, done, put a fork in it, it's done. And so with that, I would then say for an FI on the RTP rail, what internal controls do you have in place to mitigate the risk associated with settlement finality? And, and here, you know, the way you give uh, an inherent risk rating, high, medium, or low. So for me, mm -hmm. I'm using settlement finality as um, the, I'm, I'm just gonna use that as the one that we're gonna use for sake of discussion. I always need a story. You can quote all these rules and guidance, but to put it in the real world. So that to me on a low, medium, high scale, settlement finality has high risk, inherent risk. Now I assess the effectiveness of the internal controls. So depending on what controls they have in place to mitigate the risk associated with settlement finality, and I, I don't know because I've never done one of these and we're, we're making it up as we go here today, Kevin, but right. a control, yeah, a, a, a control, and we're all learning from this because it is a, a rail in its infancy. Can't believe it's gonna, a toddler now to be four, you said but what would be a control that we could have in place to mitigate risk associated with settlement finality maybe a reserve account well i wonder too okay on this one and oh my gosh i've got so many questions we haven't got past characteristic one yet but i would wonder too settlement finality is going to take place and unlike wires because there are people probably screaming out there well wires high finality yeah but they definitely work a lot different and you don't have the same amount as what the potential of rtp is but unlike wires we do have a request for return process so would that be one of the solutions they have in place is saying okay financial institution because we know settlement's going to be final we know you can't cancel we know you can't amend anything once sent However, we do know you can do a request for return of funds, but yes, it's another 
a course I've built several hours long, another one here, a couple hours on just how's that process work. So do you have documented policies? Do you have documented procedures for how, when, and the way you're going to use the request for return of funds? Would that solve that for you? Perfect. Great example. Glad you brought that up because in evaluating the effectiveness, okay, where, where's the policy? Is it board approved? Oh, board um, approved. Yeah, we can never forget that one. <laughs> right. You know, I'm always going to look for that. And then um, detailed, documented, written procedures. So we rate the consequences. Okay. The effectiveness of the this particular policy and procedure is an internal control, right, against the settlement finality. What are the consequences? What's really what are the effectiveness? And, and let's say it's a, a good policy, and, and they've got detailed written procedures. I might say, okay, what are the consequences if things don't go as planned? That these controls are going to operate effectively to mitigate the risk. So on a scale of one to three, one being low, you know, two medium, three high. I'm a hard grader. I always hate to give the low, but a two, right? And then what's the likelihood of that something will happen that will have to, right? Two, see, you're a hard grader too. We do a lot of two twos. Yes. And so really in... For those that are familiar with all the behind the scenes, you know, two, two, and that's a four. And, you know, you end up, how do I want to say this? Um, probably overall, that would fall into, you know, that's medium, medium risk. We end up, once we apply the effectiveness of the internal controls, then that leaves us our residual risk. What's left over? And then that, depending on your risk tolerance, and that's mentioned too in this document. So a lot of this will vary based upon your risk tolerance and your appetite. Appetite for risk. Guns N' Roses had appetite for destruction. RTP brings appetite for risk with Pam Rodriguez. Now I gotta say too, that there's people out there probably going, wait, written procedures on how to do this? Do you do you have those? Uh, I'll tell you, the course that I built goes through and tells you, hey, here's what you would put in your written procedures. I got a feeling, Pam, if we got together, we could probably come up with some for people. But I want to throw another curveball out there to all the listeners. We talk about when it comes to the participants, you mentioned the non-funding participant and that we even said there's no negative positions. However, when you have a funding provider, a funding provider provides a pool of funds to non-funding participants. And there is a possibility with a non-funding provider that one of those participants could have a, what they call a negative net position. A negative net position, if you read through the RTP rules, explains that that particular participant, even though the pool of funds is still there, but that particular participant, well, they've ate more than their share of the proverbial pie, let's say, and they've gone into a negative position. Now, I know that one's unique. I know it's going to be unique for those working with the funding provider. However, I believe uh, not just an RTP, but I think we'll see something like that in Fed now too for your smaller financial institution. So what I'm getting to is there really are some negative loss potential scenarios if you don't have controls in place. 
And that's a control that would be only at the financial institution, uh, not so much at the clearinghouse level, even though the clearinghouse level does require you set that negative net position. That's where the term comes from. There's still wouldn't there still have to be something in place at the financial institution level at the funding provider? Cause that could be a third party service funding provider type situation. Who's helping this uh, another financial institution that's providing these cause they still have to have a routing number. So wouldn't that financial institution at that level, just say a funding provider, if, well, if anything, have a different type of risk assessment, but having to be account for that negative type position too. Yes, and yes, and you just go through and, you know, the, the rules are, Kevin, I think you, you know, go to the clearinghouse.org um, payment system RTP document library, and all the rules are there. And really, when you're, you know, section six of the RTP rules talks about the pre-funding um, requirements, but just like we did would any payment system audit, you audit for compliance with the rules, all the rules, mm -hmm. and, and they apply to all of us. And then conversely, so audit of the RTP rules is, a, you know, involves testing and what makes it different than the risk assessment is me as an assessor and Kevin, you as an assessor, Sounds like we're both kind of hard graders, but what I might make a medium, somebody else might make a low, but again, audit is involves testing, whereas assessments, there is no testing. It's assessing, again, effectiveness of those internal controls to mitigate risk, mitigate inherent risk. Uh, and I also, <laughs> I, I wanna step back too, and I meant to say this um, earlier, at the, you know, I used to say, when we had, oh, and now I'm dating myself, um, when we had Appendix A to the ACH rules, there was this beginning section that nobody read that was really critical. Yes. And I wanna yes. say in this guidance document, um, in the background regarding TCH, the clearinghouse, before we get to characteristic number one, um, you'll see an acronym SSP. So. FFIEC, Federal Financial Institution Examination Council, in the IT Examination Handbook, specific to supervision of technology service providers, that's where um, TCH, they're highly regulated and they are designated here, as you'll see in like the lead-in paragraph of this section, as a SSP, a significant service provider program and um, highly regulated. So I encourage those that are on the rail, getting ready to get on the rail, go do your homework and read up on that um, supervision of technology service provider handbook. So sorry, I went backwards. No, no problem. I agree that that stuff does need to be pointed out again. I know some of the people want to listen to the podcast and watch the videos they tell me because they would rather not have to go read this. Uh, we, we make it much more entertaining for them. Let's go ahead though and let's move on to characteristic number two. I mean, I'm sure we could probably pull some more out of there, but we're going to run out of time and we've only talked about what the document is so far. So characteristic number two, it says, how does the payment systems rules limit its liability 
to its members. Now, that's the payment system limiting its liability to its members. So this one says the RTP operating participation rules limit the clearinghouses liability to its RTP participants. Now, what I would believe is we're going to want to flip that around when we're working with the financial institution for how is the financial institution going to be able to address its liability correctly, but also then limit its liability to its participants, to its senders, their account holders, their customers. So what really would be able to be in place or what should a financial institution do if they put themselves in this position of, okay, what am I going to do to help limit my liability when it comes to my customers, my account holders? I mean, I think it's an easy answer of just, you know, hey, you, you have an agreement, but what would you really tell them? What do you guys look at to do when, you know, to make sure that you're covering your own liability, but then limiting the liability you have that really is that of your account holder? Yes. And so what I would look at there, um, get a good payment systems lawyer, get good, strong terms and conditions in uh, reviewing the TNCs in your account agreement, making sure um, your disclosures are clear and understandable. So those are the big things, Kevin, that pop in my mind there. Uh, those are big things to me, too. And those of you who are going, OK, do you know any payment system lawyers? We do. We do. Uh, again, Pam is. With I know a guy. <laughs> I know a few myself. I do, too. You can always uh, yeah, email me, Kevin, at paymentsprofessor.com. I'll get you in touch with Pam or get you in touch with some of the payments lawyers that we do know that are out there. Because uh, a big one that Pam hit on right there, too, is it is, yes, having the agreement. It is the proper disclosures. It is making sure they're clear and understandable. And what I have found just on that topic is because it is a new payment system, there are people that are struggling to understand it who are in the industry. Uh, I'm not, I don't mean the lawyers at all, but I mean some of the people who actually do the work, do some of the processing, trying to get what the differences are. I, you know, here we are years into it, in my opinion, and I'm still seeing some people where the light bulbs are finally going off. So that, that's, that's important too, because my point on that is we're expected to understand it. And now we're expecting our account holders to understand it and we're going to hold them liable for it. So, wow. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's move on. Next one's a pretty easy one too. It's characteristic number three. And in this case, again, it's coming from the clearinghouse point of view, but we always want to flip it and see, will it apply to the financial institution? It says, does the payment system have insurance coverage or self-insurance agreements to cover operational losses. In your risk assessments for RTP or even other payment channels, I know it's there for cybersecurity nowadays, highly recommended. Are you saying, hey, can you show me that you have this insured? Are you, are you actually looking for anything like that? Is that a requirement or is that more in the area of recommendation or, you know, the payments professor likes to say a recommendulation when it's a little bit of both? We always ask for this in any type of risk assessment, um, wire transfer, RDC, ACH, and we will um, when you know we start to do our first our um, yeah RTP. But we do say, you know, we're we're not insurance experts, but. They, we encourage financial institutions to consult with their compliance and insurance experts because here, 
computer crime policy, cyber crime, exposure to that continues to grow. And you need to make sure you have adequate coverage based upon the, the size of your financial institution. That's why we kind of, it's just like, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so don't call me if you want me to help you write your T's and C's or your agreements. But yeah, we do request this because sometimes things slip through the cracks and we didn't think of that. Right. Yeah, there, there are things that surprises. And I got to say, it should have come as no surprise that you and I have been talking for a while now about risk assessments in RTP. And the captain is given the seatbelts, put them on, put your tray tables up. We got to land this plane sign is coming across, you know, for this. So, Pam, can, can I ask you to come back for a second part on this risk assessment, even though it might end up being 10 or 11 different parts? But I mean, for a second part, can I ask you to come back? Because I know there's people out there going, wait, you only got for the first three questions. What do you think? Could, could you do that for our listeners? I would very much enjoy it. And, you know, I would rather take the time and, you know, we had to frame it up today. We only got through three, but I'd rather take it in baby steps than try to give them, you know, RTP risk assessments like a fire hose. And so I think that's a great idea, payments professor, um, and always enjoy chatting with you about exciting things like RTP risk assessments. Well, and I have to say, the payments may be fast, but the risk assessment shouldn't be. All right, this is Pam Rodriguez. She's at sfe.org, that's Southern Financial Exchange, sfe.org. If you want to find out more about her, want to get in contact with her, you can find her there. You can find her on LinkedIn as well. I am the Payments Professor, Kevin Olson. And if you want to get a hold of me, just email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. If there's a topic you'd like to have addressed on the payments podium, if there's a speaker you think should be on here, or maybe you're one of those speakers who would like to be on the payments podium, again, send me an email let me know your questions let me know your comments what you would like because we are here to help you but for now i gotta say class dismissed and raise your hand and contact me or the payments professor if you've already been through an rtp risk assessment and you have some pearls of wisdom that you would like to share to educate the industry absolutely we would love to hear from you Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.